This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Are We There Yet? I'm Katie Gossett. And when babies enter the world, I'm guessing it looks pretty freaky after the womb. And as we get used to things, we relax. But New experiences, frightening images, and even bad dreams can keep us on edge. Tenakwe. Hello? Can you hear something? Pakurongo. It's Grandpa snoring. Oh, I think Grandpa's having a bad dream. This excerpt is from Grandpa's Place, a popular kids' show that ran on RNZ and won a major international prize back in 1985. Oh, I think we'd better wake up, Grandpa. Grandpa, wake up! My daughter once told me she dreamt a large bird had tried to reach out and catch her with its sharp claws. That's the way she described it. I soothed her, but it stayed a vivid image for her and actually for me. And so for children, it doesn't take much for a fear to take hold. So my six-year-old has started to worry about um, worry about a lot of things, basically. We think that there's some images that have been talked about at school which have scared him. We've had one child who's scared of spiders, but only spiders in his bed. Sometimes in the morning I'll go to the kitchen and he'll be in the lounge and he's moved out of his bed in the night and he's sleeping in the lounge because he said there was a spider in there. Most of us will have had to deal with a child who's afraid of something. And some of us may even have fears of our own. In my case, I really don't like heights. Which is why it's encouraging to hear this nugget of information. Fear is completely natural and necessary. Phew, it's not just me. Some fears are actually hardwired. And so we come into the world thinking such things like loud noises or big animals or heights are not good for survival. So probably good to be a little bit cautious about them. So that's our clinical psychologist, Catherine Gallagher. And those fears seem primal, logical even. But as we get older, our brain gets trickier and kind of, well, tricks us, really. Here's Catherine again with something she's explained in previous episodes. The fear system can also get hacked by the thinking part of our brains. In other words, through the filter of our thoughts and our experience, our alarm system can get tricked into firing. Especially for some of us, that are genetically a little bit more vulnerable to being anxious in the first place. So does that mean we're feeling real worries, or is it just a type of anxiety? Fear, by definition, means I'm having that experience of my alarm going off in the presence of something that is actually dangerous. Anxiety is having an experience of fear in the absence of the thing that is actually dangerous. Yeah? So these are actually childhood anxieties. 
because in actual fact these things aren't dangerous. So what brings these anxieties on? Well, it turns out many of them are actually linked to the developmental phase that we're at. So for me, I will doubtless have fears associated with being an exhausted 40-something woman. But our children might be somewhere quite different. So let's screw up our courage and take a little trip through the life stages of fear, just so we know what to look out for. Join me on the Anxiety Through the Ages tour. And we're going to start by going right back to the beginning, to the point of birth. Mummy, is the baby awake? I think so. Would you go and have a look? Yes. A child starts to learn as soon as it is born. Those big, wide eyes see more than we realise. And they quickly learn to focus on their immediate needs and who's providing them. So their first taste of fear is actually about losing us. Between 9 and 18 months, babies and toddlers are often busy trying to work out where they began and others end. And they don't really have a separate sense of self. So you can see how separation from my parent would potentially freak me out as I'm missing a part of myself. And it's not just us they feel connected to. We can also feel at one with the world and the things in it. For example, if the water can go down a plug hole, I might too, so that can feel pretty scary. But in just a couple of years, independence arrives. Kind of. At around the age of three, we start to be able to internalise a working model of that relationship and feelings associated with our attachment figure, which means we don't actually need to have them physically with us to feel safe and secure. And then around the age of four, just when we're expecting things to calm down a bit, we enter the fantasy phase. Our brain allows us to start to imagine and pretend, and this is great when it comes to running around the house and being superheroes, but it can take a little while to harness it properly. And so although it can be a great source of fun, it can also mean that we can't always tell what's real and what's not. And I might get a little bit frightened, or really frightened, by the things I read, see and imagine, because I can't quite work out whether they're real or not. Right now, monsters are our big thing, and they always hide in the dark. Ah, but haven't we already realised that we're now separate from our parents? So that means we're on our own against the monsters of our imagination. Being separate can have a downside, because... I can actually get hurt then, or I can get taken by said monsters. So although, you know, it's great to be a little bit separate, being separate means I'm able to be hurt. Now, things get even more interesting between the ages of about 7 and 10. That's when we start to compare ourselves with other people. You can imagine, here come a whole other pile of worries, or potential worries for people to think about. We're also exposed to more real-world dangers through the news or conversations and have a greater sense of their impact because we have a sense of the future. So that monster under the bed might be replaced by a burglar. We talk about burglars breaking in and things like that. And I said if anything like that happened, we'd hear it, the dog would let us know, and we would deal with it. The next big change is in the teen years. I'm almost afraid to find out what that's going to bring. The focus of pre-teens and teens is to fit in and have friends. And this makes complete sense from an evolutionary point of view, as we've designed to start separating from our family of origin and go out into the world and find a mate and settle down and have our own families. Now we're talking possible, not inevitable. So don't expect all kids to go through all of those worries. But for some children, anxiety can kind of become a habit. It says, I can't go to sleep or I can't 
do this thing that I need to do because I'm scared of everything. And so I think what started as a singular fear has just spread across into his mind and he's become a bit of a worrier. Sometimes he's a bit freaked out about doing new things, but he's getting better actually as he gets older. And I try not to, to make it a deal, you know, to focus on it because you don't want them to label themselves either, do you, you know? Or that the other kids label them, you know, I don't want the other kids saying, oh, you're a scaredy cat. When children get to that point, when they start to worry about all kinds of things, Catherine Gallagher reckons a good way to look at it is that anxiety has actually become a way of thinking for them. It doesn't really matter what the particular focus is. If I've got into a habit of getting anxious and overestimating risks and thinking about what if, and you know that's not contained or I'm not encouraged and supported to confront that situation and kind of get corrective information, then yeah, my worries are going to get a little bit more out of control to the point that I might actually start to get worried about getting worried. So how do we help children who feel like that? Nighttime can be scary for children. It can take patience and understanding to help them overcome their fear. The dark is one of the ones that is actually natural and that I think did help explain that to my younger son because I said, you know, we can't see so well in the dark, therefore it isn't so safe. We've done a bit of work with him trying to talk about being scared and he's got a worry box now which has got a few things in it such as some dice he can roll that come up with various affirming things on them and uh, a little notebook that he can write his fears down in. Don't forget too that when we're afraid of something we get a physiological reaction to that fear. It starts to affect our breathing and it starts to affect our heart rate and all those sorts of things because that's actually what the alarm is. It's our body gearing up to deal with a danger or a threat. So there are a lot of physiological things that are really handy to put in place in terms of slowing our breath down, breathing from our diaphragm, relaxation type exercises. And once kids have learnt to control what's going on with their bodies, we should also talk them through what's happening inside their heads. We need to let them know that their brain will trick them, validate that this feels really tough, not give too much attention, and then with support, expose them to the stuff that they feel scared about in little bite-sized manageable chunks. Remember, if we act like their fears are real, like let's scare the monster off or let's look under the bed, then we're actually telling our child that the fear is true. Oh no, I've definitely done that one before. I have looked in a wardrobe for a monster. The other thing I do sometimes is try and distract my child when they're upset. Maybe that's not the best answer either. Distraction is kind of like, if we think about it, don't think about the pink bunny. I'm not thinking about the pink bunny. Are you thinking about the pink bunny? What are we all doing? Thinking about a pink bunny. So if there's energy put into not thinking about something, actually what we're doing is thinking about it a lot. Right. So what can we do? It can be more useful to go, oh man, my brain tricks me sometimes. So it's going to throw lots of stuff in there. I can learn how to be a bit selective about what I pay attention to. I can't control whether that stuff actually comes into my brain or not, just like I can't stop myself breathing or blinking. But what I can do is when those things pop into my brain, I can react to them differently. And as we've said often in the show, we need to be aware of how something, in this case fear and anxiety, can get in the way of a child's normal life. If it's stopping me from doing things that I kind of need to be doing in life, that's when this stuff becomes a problem. If it's I don't like tarantulas, I can kind of go along quite happily. I might just not go to South America. But if, in fact, my fear is separation, that's got a slightly greater impact. And so that's something that might well need to have some intervention. 
so our children can learn to enjoy the moment before the next legitimate concern that life throws at them arrives. And the reality is, things will arrive. The thing is, you can't say everything's going to be okay. You can't promise that nothing bad will happen. But what you can say is, now's okay, and if now's okay, then enjoying today, and if something happens, dealing with it then, rather than worrying and ruining what you've got now. And that's the show. Are We There Yet is produced and presented by me, Katie Gossett. It's mixed by Alex Harmer, and Tim Watkin is our executive producer. And the archival audio comes from Nga Taonga Sound and Vision and Archives New Zealand. However you found the show today, you can get it elsewhere too on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or on our podcast page at rnz.co.nz. And while you're there, check out our new podcast for kids, Nano Girls Great Science Adventures. And don't forget to catch our next episode when I'll look at tantrums, why our kids have them and what on earth we can do about them. 